Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, Matt here. Just before we start the show, hope you all had a good break. And thanks to everyone who took the time to fill in our podcast survey. Uh, All the feedback's been really useful and helps us plan and improve the programme. But of course, that's secondary to whoever won a £50 John Lewis voucher. And that honour belongs to Stephen Wagstaff. Stephen, congratulations. We will be in touch. Uh, Now, prize draw or no prize draw, if you do have feedback for us, uh, maybe a suggestion of a panellist or a guest, uh, we are keeping that survey open uh, so just head to themediapodcast.com slash survey would really love you to fill that in themediapodcast.com slash survey right on with the show hello and welcome to the media podcast i'm matt deegan on the show today what could a privatized channel for mean for the publicly owned channel the independent program makers that supply it and the viewers that watch it is netflix's model the right one to emulate and what could the benefits be our panel discussed the future uh, also on the show i speak to Stephen may founder of woo the new wellness media brand backed by itv and in the media quiz we unpack the allegations and denials hitting the media industry this week uh, that's all coming up on this edition of the media podcast there's been a deluge of media headlines over easter uh, here's a quick roundup of the media news that's been breaking this week we've seen the uk court approving the extradition of julian assange to the us the wikileaks founder has appealed to home secretary Priti Patel to intervene. He should be careful, otherwise we'll be off to Rwanda. Uh, meanwhile, Elon Musk made a $46.5 billion offer to buy Twitter and take it private. Twitter's board have yet to give a formal response. Uh, there's also been a shakeup at Netflix with shares falling by 35% after the streaming service announced it had lost 200,000 subscribers in the first quarter of 2022. Uh, but on the show this week, we've decided to take a deeper look at a story making waves close to home, the privatisation or potential privatisation of Channel 4. Uh, with me today is media reporter and column writer for The Guardian, Observer and others, Tara Conlon. Hi, Tara. Hello, good morning. Uh, before we get on to Channel 4, um, you wrote a piece last week for the RTS on the revenge of the radio star after we've seen all this talent going from the BBC. It's something we've touched on in, in the podcast. You chatted to quite a lot of people in, in that piece. Did you deduce whether we finally reached peak podcast? Uh, I don't. I don't think we have. I think. I think there's going to be even more. But I think it's looking literally in the case of John Sopel and Emily Maitlis at the global appeal. And I think more telly people are realizing that when they get to a certain level in their career, that they can have more control, more say over the program content, but also, you know, have have this global appeal. Um, I can. I can reach a global audience and get you know more a share of 
of the revenue that that might entail. So I think I think we're going to probably see even more. And they, they also a lot of presenters said that they they can be themselves more, mm. which I think they rather liked. It's just a question of finding it, discoverability, that's the thing. Yes, I'm sure we're going to get on to talking about uh, control and ideas and IP uh, a little bit later on. Uh, also with me is producer, consultant and broadcaster Stephen D. Wright. Um, Stephen, just before the pandemic, you were making a show for C4 called Celebrity Call Centre. You also started your career there, I think, on The Word um, and became mm-hmm. a, a commission editor at some point as well. Um, do you yes. sort of see Channel 4 as your spiritual home or just yeah. a, a, a previous flat share? No, no, absolutely. It's my sort of, you know, it's my old school. It's where I learned my trade. It's my uh, first love. It's all those things. You know, of course, I'm now sort of contemptuous ex-graduate, but it's, you know, so I do have some objectivity. But no, no, I have a special place in my heart for Channel 4. OK, well, we'll be on to that in a moment. Also with me is the founder of Goldwaller, Faraz Osman. Um, you've done many things. You're also a previous Channel 4 editor of education, I see scanning through your LinkedIn. Yeah, I used to work at Channel 4 back before the Paralympics happened. Um, so I was I was actually there when Channel 4 did its first Paralympics hit in 2012. And yeah, and before then I was, um, although although Stephen looks a lot more young and handsome than me, I was always envious of, of that era of Channel 4 where, uh, where it had that kind of real edge to it. And, and so it was very much when I was growing up was, was part of that, um, that audience that, that really saw Channel 4 come alive and do something different and exciting, which I think is particularly for for our generation has been uh, a, a thing that is uh, that we're all staunchly passionate about uh, also for us um, because you've been on the show for a little while uh, back in I think 2015 you described a potential privatization of C4 as lunacy is that still your view it's a good it's a good word isn't it I, I could take that word <laughs> no I could use such big words like seven years ago uh, yeah I think it I think it probably is I I am um, I'm sure we'll get deep into the weeds of it but I've I've yet to come across a person that thinks it is a out and out good idea. Maybe there'll be one on this podcast. Who knows? Uh, perhaps perhaps there will. I mean, it's been an interesting week uh, for media. You know, Netflix is having subscription problems and looking at advertising. Uh, CNN Plus is going to close less than a month after it launched. Uh, and of course, the news just before we went on break uh, that the government have decided to push ahead with privatising Channel Four. Um, Tara, what? Um, where where have we come from? Why why are we at this point now that the the government is saying we're going to press this button? I don't know. I kind of want to think that there's some deep philosophical media inspired, you know, media landscape changing inspired um, reason for it. And, and that's what's being, you know, said that it is. But I think it's basically about the money. It goes back to how it's how it's funded, which not a lot of people know about, including Nadine Dorries, I think. But it's essentially it gets some free spectrum from the government and it's funded then by advertising and it's a bit like the national theater we have the you know other other channels that it has it's 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 sort of bouquet of channels and those help fund the more uh, risky stuff you know and it gives it's it's break to lots of lots of shows like you know most recently dairy girls i suppose and um and the wonderful channel 4 news but i think it's essentially down to money and and the thing which i I'm slightly geekily fascinated by is this idea of this free spectrum, which as broadband penetration has increased um, in this on-demand world and due to the pandemic, more people, um, you know, having having better broadband and going onto things like Netflix, that free spectrum, I think, is not going to be worth as much money. And I don't know whether or not the government has thought, well, you know, 
as we go over the internet only, what's this free spectrum worth? Yes, there are other things like, you know, due prominence on, on EPGs, which are worth a lot of money. But I think Channel 4's license is up in 2024. Um, so overseen, obviously, by Ofcom, headed up by Michael Grade, who wanted to buy Channel 4. So it's, I mean, it's... It, it's it's a it's a, a sort of a psychodrama that you couldn't really write, but I think at the end of the day, it's it's cash based, isn't it? Potentially, maybe some people say revenge based, because of what Channel Four has um, has done in terms of ice sculptures um, with the government. But I, I think it's ultimately so many things in media down to re- revenge and money, aren't they? And I think there's a, there's an element of that. Uh, Stephen, is it cash or is it the, the Tories have been waiting to uh, have a go at giving them a good goal kick in? I think I don't know if it's cash. I really don't. I think it's ideological hatred, you know, and it's um, which is bizarre because Channel Four is one of the only Tory party successes that everybody likes. You know, it set up eighty two, nineteen eighty two. Margaret Thatcher was the great sort of you know Channel Four innovator, and somehow they created this incredible sort of free market sort of uh, experiment that worked. I mean, so it's just it's just insane this kind of uh, hatred of channel 4 at the moment because that's what seems to be coming out from the government and the government funded uh, articles that you've read in the, the daily mail and whatever the fact that dorothy byrne called out you know um, boris as a liar at the edinburgh festival what 4 years ago whenever it was it, you know it, it is a you know that is the mark of this government they they you know they they hold grudges and they and they are trying to do something that sounds kind of I don't know, you know, radical for the red meat uh, sort of supporters of the, the right-wing government. But n- none of this makes sense. None of it makes sense in any way, whether it's financial, intellectual, you know, from a programming perspective. The worst thing from, from, from Channel 4's, uh, well, from the TV industry's perspective, is that it's going to kill off the sort of the, the marketplace of the indies. You know, this is how the, the, the two billion a year sector was grown from, through Channel 4, through buying programmes. And to sort of suddenly get rid of Channel 4 for some weird, non-specific reason, because I don't think it, it is, you know, to help streaming and all that kind of stuff, uh, it's just bizarre. Uh, Faraz, uh, we had um, Lord Vasey on um, the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and he said that sometimes in television, uh, people in TV were conservative with a small c, uh, and, their, and their minds weren't open to different things. We're in a, 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 a massive a period of change for TV and a golden age sort of simultaneously. Um, is, there, is there some nugget of truth in you can't keep TV channels uh, in you know, preserved in aspic and that there should be some changes? I think the debate has been broadly healthy. I think that we should always continue to debate if public service is doing the job that it needs to do. I, I have no disrespect for that and doing that with both the BBC and Channel 4 is, uh, is, is an essential part of, um, of, of how we should have public service broadcasting. Otherwise, what's kind of the point? If the public don't get to, to, to debate it, what is the point in having public service broadcasting? So that, that in, as, a, as a whole, I agree with, and I have kind of quite strong views about the Channel 4 remit and, and what it should be doing um, moving forward. But, but I think in the, in the broad question of is, is privatisation the right answer to that debate, the, the answer is... is obviously no and I think anybody that doesn't see that it's obviously no is either misinformed or disingenuous in in their approach I, I don't I don't believe well, it's okay, money. we'll, 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 we'll t- t- tell us why is why is it obviously no then because there's no there's been you know this has not been a, an overnight let's do this there's been multiple reports there's been lots of industry analysis about it there's been lots of audience analysis about it about is this something that they want I, I think that there is certainly a, a misunderstanding with the public about the fact that Channel 4 is a 
public service broadcaster and, and is owned by the public, um, but not paid for in any way by the public. It doesn't take money for the licence fee, um, which is a mistake that Nadine Doris made in, in the select community. And I imagine it's something that is, is, is equally, when you say to somebody on the street, did you know that Channel 4 is owned by the public? They probably think, well, that means that my licence fee may go to, to funding some of it. And that was an argument that was made, that maybe there should be some top slicing of the licence fee to top up the, the Channel 4 coffers that, that never happened. So those, those things have always been part of the kind of debate and, uh, and discourse around public service broadcasting and how we fund it. But, the, but the, the key thing for me is the reason why we are, I would argue, by far the best in the world at making television, particularly factual television, is because we have a mixed ecology of customers. And from our perspective as, as a producer, we have a mixed ecology of publishers. And if we start toying with that and monkeying with it without any clear vision as to why this is required right now, it doesn't really matter about broadcasting. It doesn't really matter about how the technology is used to get programming into people's homes. The actual economy and ecology of doing it is always going to be impacted regardless of what, whether you get it through a broadband pipe or whether you get it through a, an old school UHF you know, TV signal. It's, it's the same when it comes to how that programming is, is funded and it is not clear what you want to replace this model with. And until you can have that clarity, I don't really see the logic of going, well, let's just get rid of it, particularly when it continues to be profitable um, and it continues to not cause any problem to the public purse. And, and I actually don't think that the money you're going to get from a sale of it, it's definitely not going to be the figure that is, is being touted around at the moment. My view on this is... I broadly agree with, with Stephen that this is a, a culture war thing. If you read Nadine Doris's um, article in, in the Daily Mail, it's this whole madness they've got around the woke lefty chat. Um, and, and I think what's really particularly interesting is that it's an illustration about how politics, not just in this country but worldwide, have moved between, you know, and this is me being using very broad strokes, but the Conservative Party supporting business and the Labour Party supporting workers to flipped to being a, a conversation about the the Labour Party supporting um, voices from all sorts of different corners and, and the Tory party trying to stamp out voices that don't agree with a, a particular viewpoint of what Britain should be. And, and that is kind of where we've got to, that there has been a sense that the, the voices that have come through from Channel 4, and you can pick and choose because it does lots of programming, but if you pick and choose certain voices and certain programming that comes from Channel 4, it doesn't agree with Nadine's viewpoint and the current Tory party front bench viewpoint, and therefore it should be either punished or, or frankly got rid of. I mean, politicians always like to get involved in media because um, uh, they like being on it. That's the that's the, the core thing. I mean, Stephen, one of the, the, the discussions from people is when we get onto Channel 4's remit, in that if you look at primetime schedules, it's perhaps a bit different now than, than it used to be. Um, I mean, is Channel 4 worth saving today? I mean, is it, the, is it what people have in their minds? You know, is it just another commercial channel uh, that's maybe a little bit more skewed to, to, to youth or, or being a little more diverse? I mean, it's definitely uh, a channel worth saving because it's still a distinctive channel. I mean, it's not as distinctive as it was 30 years ago, when everything they put on was kind of radical and outrageous, it's become much more commercially savvy, it's become much more successful in sort of ratings, but at the same time it's sort of blandied out a little bit and become very similar to sort of ITV and Channel um, and BBC Two. Um, you know, the fact that it took on Bake Off and things like that makes it a much, it's a stronger channel in so far as a kind of commercial success, but it's not as, as distinctive in its old-fashioned USP of being risky and risk-taking and whatever. 
I mean, I don't think there's anything, you know, you can normally always tell when you watch a Channel 4 show, if you're flicking through the channels, you can still tell. And that's, that's the big thing about a channel, when it has a proper identity. That's the big artistic challenge of Channel 4, you know, to still somehow still be independent, still be a unique proposition. You know, you've got ex-Channel 4 staff running ITV, you've got ex-Channel 4 staff running, you know, various channels. And it's like, do, you know, do, do you keep the DNA? Are you still sort of doing the Channel 4 thing? It's a, it's a really difficult argument to have because the, the sort of anti-Channel 4 argument is all, oh, it's all naked attraction gogglebox repeats or whatever. Whereas the pro Channel Four argument is, Gogglebox was a radical hit in its in its you know in its creation. No other channel would have done it. It's made money. Da 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 da. It's created a sort of path. You know, you've still got things like It's a Sin coming on. You've got you know Derry Girls, as Tara said. You've got amazing comedies. You've still got these kind of amazing things. It's, you just we don't have the old Channel Four that people still have it sort of hardwired in their brain. It's it's a it's moved on. I mean, I you know, like uh, Faraz said, I've got really strong opinions on what it should be doing and what it shouldn't be doing. But it's still Channel Four. You know, it's still it, it's up for something like forty five Baftas. You know, it's 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 incredible this year. You know, it's 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 still doing its job. It's still producing amazing work, and you know, I'll fight to the bitter end for it. Uh, Tara, the government say that they, they want to make Channel Four more competitive, and this is part of their 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 reasoning they think it being aligned with someone else uh, will, will give it more firepower to to compete more um do you think that's the the case can even align to a, a viacom or, or or someone else will it help them them grow and develop well, it's a difficult question i mean david elstein has been going on x um channel five sky um it's been going on for years about the back office savings that could be made of like i, I think about 200 million i think he proposed channel four and channel five merge their back office functions so uh i mean some costs could be taken out um it, but it doesn't seem that the government will let channel four do that they've tried they've tried moving more of the staff out to the regions um they uh came up with a plan which i think got got uh, leaked um out recently that they they gone to the government and said what else can we do and basically said we'll be even more regional we'll be even more um local and the government really didn't want to engage with that so there there is an issue there in terms of it's all about content it's about owning the ip it's about owning the back catalog and and channel four doesn't do that but what it does do is invest in the has the indie growth fund so it invests in smaller indies who you know i know i speak to some of them and they can't approach netflix they can't get on their the the big platform straight away but they might get a show they might do a, a i don't know a blap or something they might get a small show which might then lead to a bigger show so it's it's letting those smaller indies get on that sort of first uh, rung of the ladder which i think channel 4 has been particularly good at and also it's 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 difficult i mean to make it more competitive yes if if netflix is coming into the advertising market and there are more you know avods there are more advertising funded streaming platforms out there now which is going could potentially impact on uh, channel 4 because there'll be more competitors for the advertising but equally, with the cost of living crisis, I mean, if you said to most people, okay, you, you've got to cut back on your um, streaming services in order to be able to afford your, your heating, they, they will cut back on, the, on on their Netflix or their Disney Plus or whatever. So at that time, at that particular moment, that's why if you say to them, well, you've got Channel 4, you own it, you're the public, you don't have to pay for it, it's paid for by advertising. Most people go, brilliant, excellent. Yeah, I'd love to keep Channel 4, thank you very much. If it's part of a bigger competitor to ITV or, or probably foreign-owned, um, if it's a Viacom, 
what will that do to the to the you know the, the broadcasting ecology in this country? Will there be something like help with Jodie Comer? Will be there be something like it's a sin? Yes, it's Russell T Davis, but still, would that show have happened on a on a on a you know a Viacom owned platform? I don't know. I mean, you've got All Creatures Great and Small on Channel Five, so maybe it would. But Channel Four does have that particular voice and um, legacy of taking risks that perhaps others don't and. I think its unique funding system allows it to do that. And it should be allowed to keep going back to the government and saying, well, you know, maybe, I, I don't know, there are bigger brains than mine working on this, but, you know, if they're not allowed to own some of the um, the, I, the IP long term, is there a sort of a first look deal? If, if we took that risk, basically, if you're Channel 4, you take that risk, are you allowed to have that content back on your streaming service for a reduced fee or something? I, maybe that already exists, I don't know. But there must be some kind of way of working it out rather than just flogging it off. Uh, Faris, as, as an indie, as running an indie, um, what's uh, a likely new owner? What is, what, what's its effect on companies like yours? Uh, it's a flipping disaster, um, I think is a, is a short answer. I, I think Tara's absolutely right. C- companies of, of my size, you know, we can be confident and we can go to Netflix and Disney Plus and, and Amazon. I've had conversations with all of them and we can see if there's a possibility to to get some ideas away but the sort of scale that they need is is not necessarily something that we can support with the infrastructure that we have so so channel four is still one of the few places that will buy an idea off paper um which makes it viable for us and makes it viable for lots of small indies that are either diverse owned or or regional or or just simply startups and to take that away is, is going to be a real risk there's there's obviously a lot of conversation about channel 4 making its own programming in house um the the thing that i've been quite vocal about um for a while bef- even before um this news dropped is is i don't think personally that channel 4 is doing anywhere near enough to work with the amount of indies from uh from from outside of outside of the, the kind of uh, the status quo. You know, the report that came out in broadcast recently is, is that the vast majority of money is still going to a few big established indies that, that are also servicing those, uh, those streamers. And, uh, and, and I feel like more needs to be done to ensure that they continue to support companies like ours, because that is what Channel 4 was set up to do, is, is to kind of continue to, uh, to, to find new creatives and uh, inspire them and commission them um, and, and to get lots of new people into this industry and, and continue to allow it to thrive as, as, as one of the crown jewels of, of the British economy um, when it comes to, uh, you know, British creativity and, and TV. You know, we are, we are something that is giving a lot to the public purse. So why you would want to, again, janky with that is, is beyond me. Um, I, I, I was hoping, you know, and maybe it was naive of me, but I was hoping that, that this debate was being had in good faith and, and actually we would see some, some interesting ideas. You know, I put one forward, which I, I strongly believe in, that if, if they want to continue to work with, you know, that, that it, was, it was a broad stroke, but I was saying if, if you know, Channel 4 is not a massive channel and there are lots of production companies and consortiums now that have a significantly bigger balance sheet than Channel 4 does that supplies programming to Channel 4, my view is, is that if those people want a commission from Channel 4, they should be made to work with a smaller company, what I call a, a GrowPro or reverse co-pro. They should be made to work with a regional company or a diverse company to allow those companies to thrive as well. And, and we can all learn, we can all benefit from that. That is something that an, a new private owner is, is not going to... Why would they do that? They're not interested in that. That is risky. That is something that, you know, this whole point of this channel was to take risks. And obviously, if you're going to privatise it, the whole point of privatisation is to 
mitigate risks. I mean, Stephen, what do we know about people inside Channel 4? Because obviously they've made um, uh, their views known to the government. They came up with their own plan. Did they underperform in trying to get their views across or uh, was the government always of, of a fixed mind? Um, what have what the brains in the building been, been thinking about over the past couple of years? That's a difficult question. I don't know if there are any brains in that building anymore, but um, but then I speak as an old school Channel 4 commissioner where it was all fire and brimstone and, you know, you fight to the death and all that kind of stuff. I mean, my biggest problem with Channel 4 is that they have been too conservative and too safe and had that done that kind of, don't notice us, we won't make a noise, you know, please let leave us alone. And, of course, they've been caught out. You know, they should have been screaming about this, you know, from the rooftops. You know, whether or not, I mean, the, the big argument is whether or not this is actually going to happen. Is this actually going to happen? Is it going to go through this sort of two-year process, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, I still think possibly not, because nobody, nobody is, is, is for this other than a coterie of hard right, right-wing Tories in, inside the government that could be out in a couple of years. Um, but basically, I think Channel 4 have played this badly. I think they've played it, uh, played it safe, have tried to sort of, you know, keep their head up under the parapet and, and, and sort of go, oh, we're really, we're a good channel. We, you know, we, we make money for people. We, we're, you know, we'll do this. We've gone regional, whatever. They should have been screaming and shouting and sort of saying that we are, a, you know, a cultural treasure. There's no other channel in the world like Channel 4. I mean, in every, every global uh, uh, TV producer knows that. I mean, this is the thing about Channel 4. It has an amazing kind of halo effect for British TV. And things go round the world because they were on Channel 4. You know, Channel 4 is this very weird... People think that Channel 4 is sort of all, you know, nudity, late-night sex programmes and, and hating the government. It's actually a really, really creative uh, uh, thing that, like the BBC, you know, is worth fighting for. And, and it's, it's sort of a unique kind of proposition. And, um, and I remember being there when it was, what, was it, was it the 20-year anniversary? Yeah, when I was, I was the commissioner of... Ch- so in 92, it was 10 years when I joined, and I was, I was there again in 2001. And, um, and they were talking about doing sort of an anniversary. And they said, well, let's not do an anniversary. Let's not, let's not sort of celebrate ourselves. Let's just... Let's, let's, you know, and it's like it's ridiculous. It's forty years old this year. It's you know it's a major uh, accomplishment, and they should have been going on about it forever. And instead, they they put on a couple of sort of ridiculously sort of tawdry shows like the uh, threesome sex show, you know, the Great British Sex Experiment on a Friday night, and think that that somehow regrains the, the glory years. It doesn't. It's a sort of it's a bit mishmash of everything, and and I think this has been the problem. Channel Four have done this badly. Uh, Faraz, um, did they activate their supporters enough in the indie sector or advertisers? I mean, there were letters from advertisers, their response from indie broadcasters who broadcast a magazine as well. Should they have done more? I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are other indies that, that may be uh, a part of the a fund or they've, you know, they've got a better relationship with Channel 4. I didn't hear anything. I got, got some kind of round robin emails that, you know, were cut and paste and, and sent to me saying, please write to your MP. You know, we would have gone out to bat for them if, if we had that opportunity. My, my, my view is, is that there wasn't a coherent flag or banner that we could get behind. You know, there was this thing about you know, altogether different. They did a big campaign around that and that was their big public campaign. I think it fell flat on its face and I don't really think and the public understood what it was. They tried in the past to do a whole Born Risky and you own it and etc. It obviously hasn't cut through. I still think that there are a lot of people that don't understand the, the way that Channel 4 is funded and uh, and, and why it is different and, and useful. It's a difficult thing to get across. I, I, I don't disagree with that. But I think it's important mm. to remember that 
the Paralympics was a difficult thing to get across and, and their campaign around that was absolutely extraordinary. You know, the when, when Black Mirror came out, their campaign around Black Mirror was absolutely extraordinary. For creative as an as an in-house advertising creative, are uh, I would argue the best in, certainly in the country, if, if not the world, when it comes to doing public campaigns. So they were, they, it was quite ironic that it didn't feel like they were able to do it about themselves as, a, as an entirety. And, and I think that, um, look, it's, it's really easy for us producers and, and for people that work in this industry to kind of go, yes, this is obvious, yes, this is worth saving, yes, it's something that we should do. Because to us, it's, uh, we don't even understand why it's even a conversation. But the reality is, is that, you know, we are in the minority. And, you know, it's that kind of conversation that's always has around Twitter, where everyone's shouting at each other on Twitter. And then we're all kind of shocked when a, when, when a, a political thing, earthquake happens, because we didn't hear it happening on our, on our social channels. And, and I think that our, our industry perspective is, is not, it, you know, we have not been given the tools to communicate that to the public, regardless of the fact that this is one of the biggest broadcasters in the country. And, and that was a bit of a missed opportunity. Um, I, I think the, there's been comments on, even on, that we've had here about It's a Sin and Derry Girls, etc. But, but really, Channel 4 haven't done anything that I think has moved the needle culturally since the Paralympics, right? You know, It's a Sin was a, was a massive big hit, but I do think that there have been big hits on other channels, you know, that have been real big cultural moments. You know, Line of Duty was a massive cultural moment. Bodyguard was a massive cultural moment. You know, we have done, there has been things that, you know, granted it may not have created a national conversation around sexuality and, uh, in, in this, and you know, the AIDS crisis in the same way, but there have been other programmes and other broadcasters that have done that. Um, but there, there's, been, there's not been much when it comes to going this big, you know, Black to Front was an, was an interesting experiment. We need to have one of those every, at least every year, if not every six months, where we can go, only Channel 4 would do that. And, you know, and, and there are things that you see glimmers of, but they always kind of feels like they're kind of rubbed down at the edges. And, and I think that, you know, we need to be, you know, maybe stand up to cancer was a thing that we could, we could all rally around. Yeah. But, but really, it's, it's not enough and it's not frequent enough. And, and therefore, the, the purpose of Channel 4 is, is difficult to communicate a bit beyond a, a business principle, which I think is part of the struggle. Um, I mean, Tara, Stephen kind of talk, talked a little bit there about, um, you know, this is still a little way away and, you know, a change of government uh, might change the direction pr- pretty quickly. Um, everyone, the, the potential purchasers of, of Channel 4, if, if it is sold, and the government are saying kind of a billion, I think the market's probably saying more like half a billion if you've got um, commitment still there. Who's in, who's in the frame? Who would, who, who would like to add C4 to their, um, to their portfolio? It's difficult, isn't it? I mean, it's it's a difficult valuation um, because you know, as, as we were just saying, how do you how do you describe it? I mean, I I think it's quite simple how you describe it. It's yeah, and I've been describing it to people since the topic of has come on the news a bit more. Describing it to my family and friends, it's like you know, advertisers pay for it, you own it, and that's quite a simple proposition. I think if it if it becomes privatized. It's, you know, it's another broadcaster. It's, you know, it might be public service. We still don't know exactly where the money's going to go. I mean, it was set up with ITV money, but that was sort of subsidised by the government at the time. So does some of that money go back to the government? Where does it, where does it all go? I think we're still not entirely clear um, on that. And I think it makes it difficult for any purchaser to know where it, uh, uh, you know, a new privatised channel four would sit in the marketplace. Would there be? Is there other guarantees of where it'll be on on the EPG? Um, it, it, the license runs out in twenty twenty four. So, if you buy it now, by the time it's gone through, you know, due diligence, 
potentially a change of government could that could that change <clears throat> could that halt the sale process it's quite a, a risk for anyone i think looking at it as to what they're actually going to be buying um which does make it difficult i mean itv has obviously been mooted that would sort of make make sense it's been mooted for a while um viacom because of the idea which has been around for a while about merging channel four and channel five back office functions um and and you've got the ad sales houses which can combine as well with with, with both those but you know it could be bought by anyone there's, there's a lot of you know there's some french venture capital backed firms around at the moment like, like Banerjee. you know that anyone could really theoretically buy it at the moment it's it's such a such a mishmash i think people don't really know what they're going to buy um and it could become a toy it could become you know we could go back to the old richard desmond days someone like him could you know could buy it i doubt it but you just don't know and i think it's it's very difficult to value it it's very difficult to say who will actually buy it it would hopefully be someone with a you know public service um mentality who would who would realize it, its value but who knows is the solution to this, um, you know, if the government are, are desperate to, to have it to have it privatised and everyone else thinks it's a terrible idea, what about selling it to BBC Studios? They've got UK TV, which has been very successful over the, over the past few years. Um, any profits would go back into broadly public public broadcasting. Is BBC Studios the answer, Stephen? Mm, uh, uh, maybe it's really it's really really difficult to to judge this. I mean. The problem is the BBC still doesn't have anything like the spirit that Channel 4 has, even a watered-down version. Um, so if you could, if you could keep Channel 4's sort of whatever it is, DNA, somehow intact, then yes, of course. I mean, personally, I think ITV's a better match because um, the ITV controllers are all ex-Channel 4 controllers. I mean, they have, they have that in there. Once you've been at Channel 4, it is in your system. It's like you've been bitten by a you know, a virus that never leaves, you know, you, you still have that kind of uh, that thing. And we all know what the BBC's like. It's always, you know, very watered down. It's very safe. It's very sort of, and particularly the sort of neutered BBC of the moment. Um, so I'm not sure about BBC, but but it, I, just, I just don't want to talk about it being, it's like, it's like being it's like going to a divorce lawyers. I still don't want to talk about it yet. I don't want my parents to split up. You know what I mean? I, I still dream that this this is all going to go away. That tomorrow we'll wake up and it's going to be. Guess what? It was all a big April Fool's joke. You know. I mean, I'd actually applaud Nadine Doris if she said that. But um, but no, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. It's it's can it be kept Channel Four? If it's just a channel, anyone can buy it. As Tara said, anybody. Elon Musk could buy this. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I'd watch that actually. Um, E4, it's already got the name. Um, <laughs> Just before we, um, we, we, t- we take a break, um, Faraz, is there a least worst option for, a, for an owner? So I, I, don't, I don't think ITV makes sense because I think they'll have a monopoly in, in TV advertising that I, th- I think doesn't, doesn't make any sense and it would drive the price. Uh, it, it would just do, create haywire in, in how uh, advertising funding is, is happening. So it's, it's a possibility, but I think it's a bit strange. I think the, 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 the risk of it being someone like BBC Studios is, and I, I've had this concern again when i talked earlier about how 
there are not enough companies working with Channel 4. I, I also think the big companies who are working with Channel 4 are using Channel 4 as almost like a uh, an addendum to their development pipeline. So the idea is, is that you, you kind of launch a format or you launch something on Channel 4 and then that allows you to get bigger international distribution or, or get the attention of an SVOD. It's something that happened with The Circle, for instance. You know, it's not on Channel 4 anymore. There's been a massive deal that's happened by Netflix as a result. And I think if you sell it to a, a Banerjee or a BBC Studios, frankly, if you sell it to a producer then they will end up using it not as a uh, as something that's that's in the aid of the public but in the aid of of the bottom line of the business and and use it as a as a way of getting the attention of of international buyers who are far far more lucrative so i I don't personally see an obvious buyer and unless we literally strip the whole channel away from what it is at the moment and, and effectively reboot it as something completely new which which could be a here come to channel four and see some experimental programs that that may not ever be made again or will probably be a bit rubbish which kind of what youtube was to start with um and and that may end up on netflix later on it's almost like a you know a first look for for audiences could be a thing but it's i I just don't it's such a weird and wacky idea that it requires years of thought and and it's not currently what we have at the moment Okay, we're going to take a break. I'm going to catch up uh, with Stephen May, uh, who's launching Woo, partnered with uh, ITV. And then I'm going to drag a couple of our guests back for the media quiz. See you in a moment. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And on to our deep dive this week, I spoke to Stephen May, founder of ITV-backed media company Come Marketplace Woo. Uh, Stephen has big ambitions to do media differently for the next generation. He told me about his media plan to make wellness the next cultural movement. So at the heart of Woo, you've got a media brand and a marketplace, and it's all built around using products, entertainment, and storytelling to redefine wellness for Gen Z. So you'll see original shows, um, you'll see wild playlists, like immersive videos, and a lot of editorial or design to make you feel good. 
You talk there about editorial and marketplace. Yeah. What's the product to consumer sees? Are we saying website? Are we saying uh, online store? Is it a combination of the two? We'll have a website, which we kind of see as a storefront, and that's kind of an aggregate of everything that we house. But also, because we're not focused on driving people specifically back to the site, we're also building digital ecosystems across different social networks where we're designed to basically keep people engaged in those ecosystems. That means that we can create content that aims to basically serve people wherever they are. Most media propositions, I think, in the past would say that the audience comes to us for something. That ideology or that thinking doesn't really make sense anymore because the audience doesn't go anywhere for anything besides from Netflix or a streaming platform. Actually, the way everything works is we go to them and we should hope that we're doing something interesting enough to get them to stop. So on that marketplace front, is that building your own store uh, with inventory? Is that about affiliate marketing? Is it a combination of the two? Is it, is it sort of an, an Amazon warehouse type model? Yeah, it's going to be a combination of the two. So as we launch, it's going to be a curated marketplace. We're working with lots of vendors. We've already signed on um, over 30. We're working with five multi-brand retailers. And we're going to curate the products that kind of like sit within the store. So from a customer's perspective, it's going to look like they're buying from a singular store, but it's going to be fulfilled by the individual vendors. On the other side, we are also developing different types of our own consumer products. Like, And, you know, to, to start, a lot of those consumer products are going to be, I guess, very focused on kind of like driving our brand equity. What we're wanting to do is use the marketplace to f- facilitate the lifestyle. Because the marketplace is agile and because we're not going to be buying lots and lots and lots of stock of, you know, a million different products, it also means we can be reactive. We can look at the trends that we're seeing in our own digital ecosystems. We can look at the conversations with our audience. We can look at actually what's popping off on TikTok and we can basically get those products within our store very quickly because I guess the pathway to our curation is it's a lot quicker than um, it would have been maybe 10 years ago if we were trying to replicate the same business model. I mean, modern e-commerce, if I look at something like what Mr. Beast's doing with dark kitchens in the US, you know, supplying his brand to a sort of infrastructure ecosystem that already exists. And I guess there's a a similar thing in lots of other verticals that you can plug into. All of this stuff is a much more modern approach than maybe lots of traditional media companies um, have employed. Uh, It's pretty agile. Obviously, one of your backers is is ITV, one of the biggest media companies in the country. When you went in with the plan, why did they want to get involved? I think there were a few reasons. I think one thing was, I guess, like we have a very ambitious plan and because of my background and because of I guess the strategic levers that I put together for the business they can identify that actually it's a really ambitious plan with a lot of thinking around how to kind of bring all those different elements to life. Because of its ambition, it also means there's an opportunity for them to open up a new revenue stream that may be a business the size of ITV might take longer to kind of test within this space. I guess one of the things as well is like we operate as an independent business that allows us to play with different digital ecosystems and different types of talent that um, maybe traditionally they might not be able to do because they're tied into a big universe that is ITV and kind of like their, their goals and ambitions as a massive, huge broadcaster. 
That was Stephen May, founder of the new media brand Woo. You can listen to Stephen's full interview if you're a subscriber of the media podcast on Patreon. Uh, just go to patreon.com slash media pod. And we've just got time for the media quiz. I've managed to drag Faraz and Stephen back to play. And this week it's entitled Allegations and Denials. I'm going to provide three headlines where allegations have been denied or disproved in the media, but I'm going to leave out the key company or person and you've got to fill in the blank. Uh, There's three rounds. Buzz in with your name if you know the answer. So Faraz, you'll say... Faraz. And Stephen, you'll say... I'll say Stephen. Excellent. Let's play Allegations and Denials. Uh, Right. Who claimed the trailer for the Piers Morgan interview was deceptively edited? Uh, Stephen, Uh, I reckon... Faraz. Oh, go on, Faraz. Faraz, I'll hand it to you. You just pipped. Go on. I think we're we're gonna we're gonna say Don, we're both gonna say Donald Trump, right? It's it's yes. obviously Donald Trump is gonna say. Although I, that that sounds like a a sentence which I didn't know he could construct. <laughs> didn't he just say it was fake, or didn't he just shout and point to something like that? Um, fake news. So it may be one news. of his cronies, but uh, yes, Donald Trump has claimed that the trailer for Piers Morgan's interview on Talk TV is doctored, um, uh, and that footage showing that the former president losing his call. Uh, did not happen in the order it should have done. Um, and we've we've had trouble in the past with trailers showing people walking out, haven't we, Stephen? Oh, yeah. This is, well, this is the whole the Queen and, um, and, and uh, Peter Fincham problem all over again, isn't it? It's exactly the same argument. She was filmed leaving... Uh, well, she was filmed... What was it? Was she filmed walking in in a rush and they cut it and said she was leaving in a, in a fury? So it's exactly the same playbook. You know, boom, here we go again. Yes, we'll see the full interviews Talk TV launches uh, next week. Uh, right, question number two. Who accidentally airs false reports of a Chinese invasion? Uh, Stephen, this is the Taiwanese broadcasting company or something. Sent out a thing saying we're being invaded by the Chinese. Um, everyone started to panic and then they said, oh, it's sorry, it's just a sort of safety training thing that's you know got out of hand. I love these kind of stories. I love the idea that somebody's actually writing this stuff on a computer screen, and then pressing send, and then going, "Oops, what did I do?" And it's like, come on. My my favorite is um, I've there's there's been a there's, there's been a spat of people using video game footage and and like saying that it's from an invasion or thing that's a war. It's a bit like, <laughs> and you got like all these people going, "No, I played that game. That's definitely not like uh, uh, it's happened." Mm. Far too often, you. I think it's happened actually quite recently with, uh, with with the Ukraine invasion that some people have been using clips from video games instead of actually what is going on on the ground, which is slightly terrifying. That that's that it's taken a few people to, mm-hmm. to spot that before anybody realises it's going out on a news channel. Uh, people don't want to check the sources; just uh, get get mm. get the hits. That that's the important thing. Uh, I think uh, so. On on this story, this was CTS, uh, the Taiwanese news channel, that caused a panic after a fictional news alert said Chinese missiles had been fired at cities and ports. You would not want to see that pop up uh, before your tea. Um, and also in China, the error was seen by over a million people on Weibo. So uh, they were probably enjoying um, the, 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 the Taiwanese worries uh, at that point. Uh, and finally, uh, question number three. So this is for the win. Um, who has denied allegations of racial discrimination and having a toxic work culture? 
I, I don't know if this is a win, but for Raz, it's it's Channel Four. I, I, I definitely don't know if that's for a win. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, bringing this bringing this back to to, to Channel Four, a core discussion today. Um, so they've been accused of uh, by a group of ethnic minority employees of having a toxic culture. Uh, the company refuted the allegations, calling them un- unsubstantiated and false. Do they have a bit of an issue? Is it the same issue that a lot of broadcasters have, or is there something going on in Horse Free Road? I think the industry has an issue, and mm. it continues to have an issue. There's, there's no doubt about that. Stephen mentioned previously about when you work at Channel 4, you feel like you've been injected by a virus. Um, and I, I, th- I think I would agree with that. Um, uh, sometimes viruses can feel a bit good when you get when you recover for them. Sometimes they can feel a little bit woozy when you have them at the time. And um, uh, yeah, so that's, that's my view on it. I, I read it initially with a sort of slightly disbelieving air because I thought, is this and yet another anti-Channel 4 story that's been sort of run by the, the, the right-wing press? But then I made a few inquiries and I've heard rumours that the actual story is worse than we, we read. And so there's more. There was there was there was more examples of etc. So I'm in a really uh, difficult place because I can't believe that the channels, having sort of purported to be at about uh, you know ending racism and helping people from different minorities etc. get forward in TV, that they can suddenly fail so badly. But that, them and the BBC have been have been accused of this quite badly recently. So there obviously is a problem. I mean, I just don't understand why there is such a big problem. Um, because they 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 purport to be the, the champions of diversity, etc. So how is this happening? Why is it happening? And please let it stop happening. It's disappointing, to say the least. Yes, and I think something we'll probably pick up on another episode. Uh, for us, I think that means you win the quiz. Um, I'm going to email you ebooks of all of Maggie Brown's Channel Four uh, books from the past, uh, so you can uh, uh, gen up on all the other failed. Um, uh, privatizations and hope that this one uh, is that too. Um, I'm, I'm can... looking for it. I've got a copy of it somewhere around here. <laughs> um, I think it's under my bed. I think it's under my bed. That's where my copy of Maggie Brown's a rather excellent history of Channel Four book. And and I uh, urge anybody that wants to know more about how uh, how Four became the became the brand, the beloved brand that it is, go go pick up a copy because it's very good. Maggie's done good work. Uh, and that's our show for today. Uh, my thanks to Faraz Osman, uh, Tara Conlon and Stephen Wright. Uh, Faraz, where can listeners keep track of what uh, you and Goldwaller are up to? Uh, I'm Faraz Osman on Twitter and we're Goldwaller, gold underscore Waller on, on everything. You you name it, we're there. Uh, and Stephen, where can people keep up with what you're, what you're doing? Uh... Well, I'm basically retiring back into sort of the hole of obscurity in a minute. and um, But I am out there, you know, I'm not as cool as Faraz, you know, but I am on the socials, as they say. Um, but no, no, you'll see me sooner or later pop up in some horrible corner of the, the dying industry that is TV. Well, we'll look forward to that. Thank you for listening today. If you want even more of the media podcast, the best thing to do is to sign up at patreon.com slash media pod. That's patreon.com slash media pod. By becoming a patron, you help us keep making the show each week. That's the most important thing. Uh, But as a bonus, you get to listen to an archive of all of our full length interviews. Uh, Why not go to patreon.com slash media pod and be generous? 
Uh, now, if you don't have the spare change, another way to support the team here at Media Podcast is by taking out a free trial of Riverside.fm. Uh, that's the way, that's the thing we used to record the show. It records audio uh, and video. It's studio quality app. It's really good. Have a look, Riverside.fm. And sign up by using the code MEDIAPOD. Remember that, MEDIAPOD. Uh, uh, and then we see uh, a bit of benefit. And if you haven't already subscribed, you can follow or subscribe uh, to the show by pressing those buttons in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or whichever app you have to listen to great audio. Uh, my name is Matt Deegan. The producer was Phoebe Adler-Ryan with support from Matt Hill. It was a Rethink Audio production. I'll see you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.